0: What if everything came with a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible, like at the cantina? I'll take a half cap spotchka, lightweight.
1: Here's your free audiobook download for Master and Apprentice from Audible.
0: Or getting your Podracer serviced.
1: My pod racer needs upgrades to the coupling and stabilizer.
0: And here's your free audiobook download for Resistance Reborn from Audible. Life in the galaxy doesn't work that way, but there is
1: one place you can go where you can get a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible. And that's utini.com slash Audible. Click the Audible logo and start your 30-day free trial, which includes a free audiobook download. So visit utini.com slash Audible and get your free Star Wars audiobook download today. Hi, I'm E.K. Johnston, author of Star Wars Ahsoka, Queen's Shadow, and Queen's Carol, and you're listening to The Living Force Podcast.
0: Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. Be mindful of the Living
1: Force, young Padawan. Episode number 63, Star Wars Queen's Peril Roundtable, Part 1.
0: I am Queen Amidala.
1: <laughs> On this episode, brand new Utini merch.
0: We are brave, Your Highness.
1: New Patreon members and podcasts.
0: Thank you, Ambasto. But my place is with my people.
1: And the Utini team talks about the new Star Wars novel, Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnston. We live in a real world. Come back to me. And now,
2: here are your
1: hosts Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Hankel, and Wes Jenkins. Welcome to the Living Force. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight, as always, are the doctors themselves. First, we have Dr. Corey Helton. Hello, sir.
0: Hello, what's cracking on all this uh, this technological tear that we've built together? Uh, oh, ah!
1: oh it, it's been truly terrible, but it's because we're talking about Padme books, man. That's what happens. Oh, oh, um, and God. also joining me tonight is Dr. Charles Hankel. Hello, sir.
2: Hello there, guys. I would like to clarify. I did not forget that we're discussing a Padme book. I just, I forgot that there's a
1: curse. That's yeah, funny. exactly. We're at, still yes, yeah, still yes. Yeah. And oh, also, I forgot about that. Yeah. That explains things. Yeah, we thought we broke it with the last episode. Clearly, we did not. Um, But we also have Wes Jenkins, our man behind the keys. What's up, dude? What's
2: up, cool rats in the Discord? How's everybody doing? (laughs) Oh, yes, we have
1: all our cool rats hanging out. Uh, Gosh, honestly, too many people to name right now, which is so fun. We're so happy to have you. If this is your first time joining us tonight, welcome. You, my friends, have just found one of the most inclusive and positive fan communities in the history of the galaxy. If you're new to reading Star Wars, you got to check out utini.com for reviews, reading guides, and everything you need to dive into and explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe. We have a vibrant online community which you can join by heading over to utini.com discord and a Patreon jam-packed with hours of extra content at patreon.com utini. We host this live show on Twitch every Monday night at roughly 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and the audio podcast is released on Thursdays for Patrons and Fridays on iTunes. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Now let's dive in. Woo, new intro. How was that? I felt I, felt, mm, I, felt, it's I felt slick. that. It's mm. slick. Slick. Slick, slick, slick. Uh no, you. Welcome everyone. This is episode one of our Queen's Peril roundtable. Uh we are gonna be diving into Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnson in just a little bit, but first we have a couple very quick introductory statements. First of all, uh happy Shadowfall week, everyone. It's been one week, roughly, since Shadowfall by Alexander Freed was released. Guys, have you started it? Have you been reading it? What do you think so far?
0: Uh, well, when you, when you ask, uh, are you starting it? I'm sure you're talking to me because the answer is no. Well, maybe. Just maybe. <laughs> yes, I, I'm going to. Uh, I've decided, I've made the company executive decision that whenever I get new books now, I'm just going to ship them to somebody else in the team <laughs> because I clearly <laughs> cannot read them on time. Every, any single time I get a book. So here we are. I'll start it soon.
1: That's fair. Have, Charles, how about I you? I
2: have started it. Yes. I, uh, I'm like five chapters in. Heather Goldman in our Discord asked me if I'd gotten to Chapter 6 yet. The answer is still no, <laughs> but I am like itching to read it because I want to know what the heck happens in Chapter 6.
1: Yeah, well, it is uh, it is hella good. I uh, Well, I wrote a review of it on Utini.com, so hopefully I finished it. Uh, I did. Wes, have you jumped into Shadowfall yet, my friend?
0: I have opened the box that it came in from Amazon, and it looks great, guys. It's it it really good. <laughs> I can't wait to open it. Uh, so, haven't well, touched it.
1: that's the first step. That's the first <laughs> step. Opening the box is half the battle, as they say in GGI Joe. Uh, but if you have been on our Discord, in the Shadowfall tab, they've been talking all about that book. Uh, so, if you are in the midst of Alexander Freed's latest, head on over there. Uh, another thing that happened this week, y'all, we got the first chapter of Light of the Jedi. The first book of the High Republic. Not coming out till January, but over on IGN, they released the first Full chapter. Um, If you want to read that, it's kind of like a prologue of sorts. So if you missed that, go check that out. Because, oh my god, actual High Republic content. Roughly, what, six months before we thought we'd get it? Freaking rad.
0: Small price to pay for uh, getting it seriously delayed. So it's exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, we got a little something. uh, But Charles Soul wasn't done there this week. Uh, If you guys remember, a little while back, there was a charity auction that Charles Soul did to benefit... Um, independent bookshops where he said he would write a non-canon Ben Solo story and this week that got released uh, Brad Whipple over on Friends of the Force live streamed a reading of it on his YouTube channel and then released it in a Google Drive uh, for people that supported so there is a new non-canon just for fun breathe uh, story about Ben Solo uh, and it's really really great so thanks to Brad for helping coordinate that and thanks to Charles Soul for writing it couple of podcast and website updates for you guys before I hand the reins over to Charles to talk about the brilliance that is Queen's Peril. Uh, Yo, we need a couple more iTunes reviews. We're going to come at you uh, with that request right now. Last reviews we've had are about six months old, and it really helps the show remain looking fresh and updated and cool and chill, if you will. So if you're a longtime listener and you haven't reviewed us yet, now is the time to do it. We would absolutely love that. Um, looking ahead on the show, next week we do have round two of our Queen's Peril roundtable. Uh, the week after that, we're going to have a special guest on the show, Technology Willing. And then we jump right into the round roundtable, which, Charles, I, you're already so excited. You wish we could do roundtables every week.
2: I really do. All I can say is we will talk about Chapter 6.
1: We will. Uh, and so that is going to be three weeks from tonight, essentially, we're doing that. Um, but a couple other things that I want to tease out to y'all. Uh, we, as you can see, uh, if you're watching the live show, some of us are wearing our short lived Queen's Peril shirt. Uh, the Queen Saves Herself. I'm rocking it. Charles is rocking it right now. Uh, Wes, you're rocking it too, I believe. Oh, no, you're watching. You're wearing the Queen's right? Shadow one, which is cool. Yeah. Which is nonetheless. That's right. um, but we have gotten a lot of great comments about our merch coming up, and we want to tease now officially that July 1st. We have a brand new merch campaign being released. Corey, can you tell us a few reviews about that or details about that, real quick?
0: Yes, yes, I can. Uh, Joxie's been hard at work. Jose on our team, um, he's done some incredible, incredible work. We are working on putting together the page for that today on, on the website and Um So we're going to release all of our merch in the coming week or so if we can get those pages put together. Um, man, it looks super, super good. Uh we've not in the US have not seen any of this stuff before. It's all brand new. It's a whole different level I think of merchandise than we've ever done before and I'm really excited about it. So uh if you've been waiting for the time to get some of that sweet swag, this is it.
1: Yep. This is it. July first. Uh we'll be promoting promoting that all over the place. Uh be sure to stay tuned in. Uh, another thing, this week over at Uteni, uh we are going to slowly start rolling out our giant collective guides. Our foundational guides, if you will, that we've been working on for months and months. Uh, this week, uh, I'm not sure exactly the day, I think it's honestly tomorrow or Wednesday, we're going to be publishing the best Star Wars books of all time. Uh, I had the job, pleasure, arduous process of writing this article. Um, <laughs> so uh, if you want friends that have been like, what are the best Star Wars books ever? It's like a very comprehensive guide. Look forward to that at Utini coming out this week. Patreon. Let's 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 go let's go there. Because we love our patrons. We love y'all so much. This week we had a new patron, Zach W. Welcome to the crew. Um, on that Patreon feed that you guys all check out, I want to give you some updates. Um today, right before we started recording, we got a new Legends Look back episode. Shout out to Jared, who's in the chat right now, uh, called That's No Moon, where Jared Freddie And our buddy Trevor from Across the Pond, the legend's master himself, uh, went into some details about the Death Star plans. It was a bit of an orthodox episode. It got me through my workday, so definitely go check that out. Uh, coming up soon is our brand new show called Lightspeed Skipping, uh, wherein we will uh, take a little bit of a comedic take on the normal show format and look at some random pages and some random books. Again, more details to come. Uh, we're recording that first episode, I believe, within the next week. And finally, every Wednesday, Charlie and I are releasing The Ghost Crew to our Inquisitorious level where we go through Star Wars Rebels. Been seriously loving that uh, project, so every Wednesday, keep your eyes peeled on the Patreon feed. And my friends, finally, if you are looking to buy some books, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Star Wars books. That's why we're here. Uh, And you want to help support Black Lives Matter, remember, we are donating every single dollar we earn through the month of June through our affiliate links to that cause. So make sure... Look up your book on Utini, click on any affiliate link on that profile, and know that your dollars are going to good use. You can also check out bookshop.org to find local black-owned bookshops if you want to help more directly. Finally, finally. Man, I said this was going to be quick, guys. I am trying to mow through it. Uh, we got some book news. Uh, the Dr. Afra audio drama cast was released this week. Uh, if you remember, July 21st, we have a Dr. Afra audio drama in the vein of Dooku Jedi Lost coming. It features a bunch of familiar voice actors. Mark Thompson is there. Catherine Tabor is there, speaking of Queen's Peril. Uh, Carol Monda, who just narrated Shadowfall, is on there. And Emily Wu Zeller is Dr. Afra. Jonathan Davis, for you Legends fans, is going to be Boba Fett. Uh, it's really incredible. It's all over at StarWars.com if you want to check that out. And again, Utini.com. New releases. You got to keep track of them because, y'all, we have so much content coming out this year. Make sure you get your pre-orders in. Finally, and then I promise I'm going to make Charles talk so much more than I am. At this point, we would usually have our book reviews. Uh, But because it's a roundtable episode, we're going to skip these for this week. But if you want your reviews on this show, be sure to look up your book on utini.com. Scroll down to the bottom, add a star rating, and use a review, and we will read them on the show. Okay. Ten minutes. That was okay. I feel all right. I feel good about that.
0: (laughs) You've done well. Strong work.
1: Thank you, guys. Uh, But now... The time for news is over. The time for dissection has 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 come. If you are new to our Roundtable episodes, now I will turn it over to Charles, who has a bunch of prompts he has made all about the book, and we are just going to dive into the characters, the themes, and all kinds of good stuff. So Charles, without any further ado, tell us about Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnston.
2: Okay, guys, here it is. We've been talking about this for weeks now, the Queen's Peril Roundtable. Let's start this off with... Quick synopsis, so Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnson, it tells the story of Padme, who is now the rightful monarch of the planet Naboo, ruling under the name and notable image of Queen Amidala, but no kingdom can be run by one person. Secretly, Padme and the head of her royal guard bring back an old tradition by assembling a group of handmaidens with various talents to serve as body doubles and bodyguards for the queen. Together, this group of young girls not only form a functioning government, but also deep bonds. Little does Padme know, their preparations for a potential doomsday scenario will be needed sooner rather than later, as the Trade Federation and their newly built droid army is poised to strike Naboo at the whim of their clandestine Puppet Master. Woo! All right. I like clandestine Puppet Master. Right? I mean, it felt very palpatine (laughs) Yeah, man. Uh, so, guys, let's rate this book 1 to 10, as we always do. Remember, you're not telling me why yet. Don't start your arguing yet. Just tell me what you think, and we will come back around to it at the end. So, Eric, my friend, mm-hmm. what do you give it?
1: I'm going to start out strong. I'm going to give this book a 9, I think.
2: Okay. Corey.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, I'm not going to start out that strong. I might give it a 8. I'm going to go 8.
2: Okay, Wes, what do you got for us? From what I've gathered on these seventy-four pages that I've knocked out, I'm gonna <laughs> give it a six and a half.
1: But I think I feel good <laughs> things. I feel good things coming my way. So continue. Oh That's and amazing. all our legitimacy just crumbles into the sea. Uh, That's it. <laughs> uh, Alright,
2: well I have finished it as well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna actually Agree with Corey. What? I'm going to agree Whoa, with Corey. What? I'm going to give it an eight. Uh,
0: that never happens. I'm, I
2: know. I, you and I, we don't see eye to eye, but we'll both <laughs> give it an
1: eight. I basically hate you, Charles.
2: Yeah, pretty much. It pretty finally
1: much. comes out. <laughs> all right. So
2: we kind of are a little all over the map. Granted, uh, Wes may catch up by next week and have a little higher number for us, but... Let's go ahead and kick this off, guys, and start talking about some characters. And where else would we start other than Padme herself? So, you know, this is the second now canon novel that we have gotten that really focuses on the character of Padme. You know, we learned a whole lot about, uh, you know, kind of the creation of the Handmaidens and where things went. Um, Once Padme became a senator... In Queen's Shadow, this book is about her becoming queen. What was your biggest takeaway about Padme in this book?
1: Ooh. That's a heavy question it to start is. off
0: with.
1: <laughs> I th- no softballs, I think, boys. Yeah, man. I, I think for me, this book really kind of showed me how instantaneously Padme took to governing um mm-hmm. because I think that we see her kind of transition into the the senatorial role in Queen Shadow, like you said, right she's kind of feeling out how to play the game if you will, whereas this book really showed me kind of when you let Padme be Padme, this is how she does it, and she's really good at it and and it made me kind of nostalgic for really good governing again not to we're not going to get super political on this show, but it's a politics book, but like this showed a really great governmental body and it, and she was the head of it and it showed me how she was able to be a realistic teenager there's a lot of great parts of this book where she has those like regular teenage desires and, and wants to goof off with her friends and stuff but she never sacrifices her ability to lead so that was my my big takeaway
0: yeah th- i was going to kind of answer in that kind of vein as well like um you know we see her grow a lot kind of as a character throughout the clone wars but Uh, It seems like this book She started off like she already knows Her skill set And like There were some rocky start Kind of places but there are such clear Leadership qualities that are there I think that we see a little more strongly um, In this book rather than just uh, Rather than just Kind of figuring it all out Like I kind of expected this book to be A little bit more about Padme figuring it all out But she's already kind of got it figured out You know what I mean? Yeah, she, she it feels like
1: she she like figured out her stuff on the campaign trail. Like the little the little bits we get of her thinking about her campaign and when her speeches, like I feel like she really cut her teeth on that.
2: Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean I would echo kinda of what you guys are saying. For me personally, it was my biggest takeaway was like the power that Padme really had. And she has that yeah. power through everything that you all are describing. And, you know, I I don't know why it really never occurred to me. I mean, she's the queen of a planet. I I had a lot of respect for her as a character already. But, I mean, she is no joke in this book, guys. I got a couple (laughs) of quotes to throw at you that I thought really helped to demonstrate that. Page 109, uh, we have, they couldn't actually stop her. All they could do was voice their displeasure and make her explain herself in very small words that's
1: such a brutal takedown i love it it
0: is it is let me let me word this so you can understand like oh my god exactly (laughs) it felt very much
2: like at the end of the phantom menace when when she uh you know overcomes the trade federation and she's like now viceroy you know we will negotiate or whatever it was that she said at the end there Um, page one fifty eight. we also have Padme saying to Panaka, we are powerful captain, even if it's not the kind of power you are accustomed to. And Uh, that was, that was one of my favorites that I,
1: I think I put that one in the review actually, because I, that really solidifies a big part of this book. Um, you know, from EK Johnson, knowing her as a, as a person and as an author, like her personal beliefs mixed with Padme is like, it's the idea that these women in this book, much like Queen Shadow, are governing and they're not bowing down to the traditional like masculine roles or masculine, whatever, like they are strong women and you got to deal with it. Even though you're not used to women having this role, that's too damn bad because they got stuff to do. And I really liked that, that attitude kind of throughout it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the, the little dynamic I think between Padme and Panaka in general was one of my mm. favorite parts of the book. And I think the single most memorable scene in the whole book for me was when like she first butted up against Panaka. Like that first time when she's like, Listen here, this is my house, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like what what was the what was the quote? I don't know, you might have it in here somewhere, Charles, where she said uh she said something about we're all powerful in this room, but one of us was elected queen and the other works, either one works for that person or something like that. (laughs) I was like, holy smokes, that was a (laughs) sick burn right there. That was great.
2: Yeah, well, and you know, Eric, you alluded to this earlier, but I think... Ek Johnson did a really smart thing in this book, in that she did not shy away at all from the fact that Padme is still a fourteen-year-old girl. Like we, mm-hmm. we see the power that she has, and we see her wield that power effectively. But several events in this novel, you know, still made it very clear that she is a, a young teen. I mean, we had sneaking out to attend a boy band concert. We even talked about menstrual periods. I mean, we yep. we hit First a lot time of in Star Wars. those. That was huge. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and it's it, fun,
1: like, that specifically, like, seeing how many, like, young girls and women are, like, oh, yeah, like, awesome. Like, it's, it's such a real thing that we try to, like, yeah. don't really talk about in fiction. But, like, no, of course that happens. Yeah, you know? so
2: why you're, – you're kind of answering a little bit there. But, I mean, why do you think it's important for us to see Padme as an or, – or anyone in the Star Wars audience to see Padme as a normal, quote, unquote, teenage girl?
1: Oh, I mean, I I think it goes hand-in-hand hand with that power you're talking about. Is that no one on Naboo questions the fact that she has the power. Like, she's elected queen, and she's great, and that's all there is to it. Like, there isn't this kind of, like, ever a plotline about, can a young girl handle all this? Can she do this? It's like, no, it's assumed, and it's known, and Naboo is one of the most prosperous, like, <laughs> planets in the galaxy because they have teenage girls running it. And I think... There's a lot of power in that. Whether you are a teenage girl reading it that wants to become some kind of government official or work towards that, or you're a person that has never thought about teenage girls in that way, about having these kind of minds and these ideas. But reading them in a fictional universe I think can also help us be like, you know what? Why wouldn't a 14 or 15 year old be able to do what Padme is doing here? And I think that is super important and something that has been teased in Star Wars like in the prequels, but to have it you know, a whole book all about that that's also a lot of fun at the same time. You know, it's not sacrificing right. it to be preachy. I think it's really freaking cool,
0: right? Right. And you know, I think it has to be said that, like, you know, we're four white dudes sitting around talking about Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but like, that being so, so, what I mean by that is, like, there's only so much that we can understand, I guess, about, about this, about growing up as a woman, and mm-hmm. like, uh, let alone being a woman that's a Star Wars fan. There's been a lot of really interesting stuff on Twitter this week. Um, Meg and our team has been kind of leading a lot of charge about kind of women and inclusivity in Star Wars lately. But, like, man, I'm all about inclusivity in Star Wars. Like, that's the whole reason we started Utini, right? Is, like, we all – everybody is seeking a sense of community. Everybody is seeking a sense of belonging. And, like, the Star Wars community is that for a lot of people. It certainly is that way for me. And, you know, any time that we can normalize – weirdness grossness stuff that people don't normally talk about like we talk about this stuff in medicine all the time like it's like Charles you can certainly relate to this it is so hard to get teens to talk about stuff like periods and sex and stuff and it's like it by normalizing it 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 allows us to open the conversation to like have a real conversation about it so Mm -hmm. you know i can certainly appreciate that i'm really glad johnson threw that stuff in there um i think it added a whole new dynamic to star wars and uh, somebody joked about it on twitter that there's going to be the first ever wikipedia page on on periods and then a couple days later i saw it somebody actually had created it yeah (laughs) i I saw the link to it
1: and it's beautiful and i want to i want to shout out we got real farm is in our chat on youtube and he just made a great point he said, uh, "This story reminded him of his teen daughters. They're each, in their own way, just as strong as Padme, Queen Amidala, was in this story. So, like, yeah, that's totally. that's that's it. That's the thing. Like, right? Yeah. How beautiful is yeah. that? I love that.
2: It's,
0: it's and, and and one and one last thing I'll add to that too. Right? Is like yeah. Ray has like really been thrown into the limelight as being like such a cool leading female character that a lot of a lot of young girls have sort of latched onto mm-hmm. in, in Star Wars. And I really like that we're not." just totally abandoning old characters right like this is you know padme has been a loved character forever and to see that she is still in the limelight and still is a a positive aspect of star wars is awesome i'm glad that we're like not just abandoning old stuff just because it would be easy to do that yeah um so uh yeah super stoked
2: it's a it's a powerful thing i think to introduce these ideas in fiction you know whatever science fiction fantasy these stories that we all love and absorb and those ideas actually can take hold and and we can recognize them in our everyday lives as well Um, on the heels of that question there's really only one follow-up are you guys more of Backstreet Boys fans or NSYNC fans (laughs) it's a trick question it's a trick question because the answer right answer Oh, okay. That's the right answer? Okay. All right, Corey, what
0: do you got? I'm an Instinct fan way more than I would be ever be. A You're a JT fan. guy, huh? Oh, my God. JT all the way, 100%. That curly hair, mm, man. I yeah, Looked like ramen.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. sync all the way, dude. I still, in my car right now, in my glove compartment, I have celebrity and no-strings-attached CDs in my glove box. Those are the only <laughs> CDs I have. And they have been with me in every car I've ever owned. Because I, if I, I lose would... signal one day... I got to make sure I have those CDs to listen to.
0: I don't know why, but, like, I, I just – my brain went straight to the apocalypse and, like, there's, like, no cars <laughs> and, like, like, nobody's able to drive around and, like, Eric, like, gets into his car and, like, because there's no radio or anything, he's, like, listening to Instinct just driving down, like, Mad Max style through the city of Chicago.
1: That's it. That's all that's left. Uh, but, yeah. Charles, what about you?
0: Guys, I'm sorry
2: to say I'm I'm more of a Backstreet Boys kind of – kind of guy myself. Ooh. I give all credit of that to my sister. You know, I have a sister who's two and a half years older than me, and she she was a Backstreet Boys person all the way. But, you know what? We're all wrong, ultimately, because the answer to who's the best boy band in the galaxy is neurotransmitter affection.
1: <laughs> yes, you're right. Okay. Yeah.
2: So They're playing at we the we Can we talk about the fact that Padme snuck out of the Royal Palace to attend a boy band concert? In this book, did we awesome. ever think
0: we would see anything like this? <clears throat> you know, I I also kind of appreciate it that like Padme herself didn't really seem to care about it that much. You know what I mean? Like like yeah, her friends she she was totally her friends into were going. Into it. Yeah, yeah, she her friends were totally into it. So Padme's like still the nerd, you know, of the group, and like. But she's still there for her friends, and like that was fantastic. Also, this is a good, it's a good time to plug. We have coming out in our new t-shirt line. We have a really sweet shirt that says. It looks like a, it looks like a band shirt, like a band shirt, and it says, uh, it says neurotransmitter affection on it. So um, that that shirt's like right on the brink of trademark infringement. So it's there. when we post that, when we post that, you better buy it like immediately because it's probably gonna get pulled off of whatever we. Whatever we mess with it on, so uh, yeah, be sure to check that out. Neurotransmitter yeah. Affection, by the way, is an absolutely fantastic name. Yeah, it no, is. I I, I, I I
1: really. Sorry, go ahead, Charles.
2: I was just—I saw some people hating on it on Twitter, and I was what? like, "What? This is such a great name." No, it's yeah, it's totally.
1: awesome, and 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 Ek Johnson herself, uh, tweeted out that she was basing it in her head off a My Chemical Romance concert, which yeah. is mm-hmm. uh, equally brilliant. Um. The Black Parade is one of the best albums of all time. Don't at me, bro. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I I love that fact because because she wrote it. Like you're saying, Padme was kind of into it, but she went because her friends did, which is also a very teenage thing. Like, I yeah, guess I'll go because yeah. my friends are going. And then the fact that she, like, gets almost caught and her whole life gets messed up because, like, a glow stick explodes on her. Incredible. Yes, I know. Like, yeah, one of the most unique that's... things that's ever happened in Star Wars. <laughs>
0: Also, it's probably got to be like every teenage girl's dream to look at their superiors and be like, listen, suck it. I'll go out if I want to. Yeah. I'm the friggin' queen. Yeah. Right? So,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Love that part.
2: think about this, guys. When Padme uses that grappling gun during the invasion of Naboo <laughs> oh to God. scale the outside of the royal palace, to get up to the throne room, all that stuff, she had just learned how to use that. While sneaking off to a boy band concert, I challenge Holy you, crap. anyone, to rewatch the Phantom Menace after reading this book and not think about that.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually one thing I'm sure we're gonna get to probably more so in our second part of the roundtable. But this book has fundamentally changed how I will watch the Phantom Menace for the rest of my life. Like more than mm-hmm. maybe any other EU novel has changed a movie. Like the power this book had to make me want to watch Phantom Menace was insane.
0: Or, or at least the parts of the Phantom Menace that we no longer cared about, or we didn't previously care about. Yeah, that weren't as fun. So like, yeah. So like, I think that the other book that really did that to me for Phantom Menace is Darth Plagueis, right? Like when yeah. obviously that's not canon anymore, but that that book has been like a really popular Legends book for a long time. Um, but that only is all about Anakin, right? Like we, we've never the biggest criticisms people have always had about. About the Phantom Menace, have all been about how boring Padme is, and like how the trade routes—what the hell is that all about? That's stupid yeah, the, and boring. Wow, a
1: blockade and tax law—why do I? Yeah, care? oh my gosh, it's so
0: boring. Right, right, right. This and is now it's people like, oh, about.
1: that's terrible. Like the, yes. the, like, the Siege of Naboo is horrific in mm-hmm. this yes. novel. Yes,
0: and unjust, and they torture the, the handmaiden. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, Spoilers, you're totally West. Right. this is
1: after page 74, uh, but <laughs> 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 it gets pretty gruesome. <laughs> oh, What's this geez. podcast
0: about? Um, Continue. <laughs> uh, Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek. It's yeah, about right,
2: neurotransmitter right. affection, Wes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've already, watched, uh, I've already watched Phantom Menace again. Same. Have you guys
1: watched it? Yeah. Yes. Not yet. I
2: had to immediately.
1: No, I'm bad yeah, in this case. Totally.
2: All right, guys. So, you know, we're talking about all this, you know, kind of lighthearted stuff. But we also do see some really heavy stuff in this novel. Eric, you're talking about some of it there. And we're going to come around to kind of the camp that we saw in Naboo. But, mm-hmm. you know, on page 181, Padme finds herself questioning... My boy Co Bibble about who can trade, uh, who can sign this trade federation treaty, and after learning that only the queen can do it, she asks, and if the queen is dead, what what is she implying there? Was she saying that she would sooner like die than sign this treaty? Like what is being implied here?
1: I I think she's just being realistic about the perils that ah and, wow that was unintentional uh-huh. uh, but. The perils that come with her office. I mean, I think that even though Naboo has been a very peaceful planet for, you know, forever, essentially, since they fought the Gungans, like, it's been an era of peace. She is still very aware of the fact that she is in charge and that some people may want to kill her. And she's like, if that's going to happen, say it to my face. Like, I can handle it, but I need to know the realities, which is, woo, that's heavy.
0: Also, she jumped right to that also, by the way, which is, like, pretty cool that, like, she's already thinking, like, five steps ahead. It's it's such a testament to Padme's leadership ability, and I don't really think that that Naboo was used to that either. Like, it seems like she's such a great executive leader that it really threw off, really threw off, like, everybody that was around her.
1: Yeah, for sure. Agreed.
2: Agreed. All right, guys, we got to move on from Padme because we got a whole lot of other people to talk about. So (laughs) let's take the handmaidens one at a time, dig into their past, see what we learned about them in this book. Uh, But let's be real, guys. After two books you you finally able to keep all the details straight between the handmaidens or no?
0: Oh, my gosh. Dude, I could Almost. do it after
1: book one, you chumps. I know you oh
0: could. Oh, <laughs> Eric is Eric's on a different different planet than the rest of us when it comes to this type so, of stuff, though. I, I still had a lot of trouble. I don't know about you, Charles.
2: I did, too. I'm better than I was before, but I still had yeah, trouble. Too. And now, a fun fact that I didn't know about until I started studying for this roundtable, Starwars.com has an official guide to the Royal Handmaidens of Naboo. It was apparently released in February of 2019, so I don't know how I never used this for the Queen Shadow roundtable, <laughs> but I use it extensively for for these prompts. So, yeah. let's start right at the top with like the Queen of the Handmaidens. Can I say that? yeah, uh, yeah. Sabin, aka Sabe. Uh she is the Set player studying at the theed conservatory uh it's a tradition that ran in her family and she is uh basically recruited because she is good at being second best let's yeah. talk about that for a second how how did that hit you she's recruited because she's not the best
0: i i think i i think i really appreciated the sort of lack of assembling of a assembling a team nature of this you know what i mean like like A lot of times you get this in Star Wars, especially. This is all through Star Wars books. You you get a lot of books of like when you're bringing people together, like. You have these completely unrealistic experts, like Ocean's Eleven, right? Yeah. Like you have the you have the one that's the spy and is good at everything. We had a little bit of that in this book, right. We had the the girl that had been kicked out of school and stuff, mm-hmm. which obviously I can't remember her name as I'm saying. Rob A, go on. <laughs> <We'll get there. laughs> Rob A, that's pretty funny. I just thought about that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I just got that too. Oh jeez. But, but yeah, no, like um, I agree, like Ocean yeah, like, 11 like, like is much more like scoundrels from legends. Like that it's yeah. yeah. Very that. And even, this is yeah
0: they're just like kind of normal backgrounds and stuff, right? Yeah. Like and that was kind of I appreciated that to a lot of degrees.
1: Yeah. And I love the I love the idea that Sabe was a musician. And I actually I, I asked E. K. Johnston about this uh, when I was lucky enough to interview her um a little farther back on the feed if you missed that one. Um about why she made them also artistic and musical. You know, why was that such a key part of it? And she said, you know, I wanted to make sure that that was a part of their personality because Naboo very much treasured that, and I wanted to show that artistic people could do this kind of stuff as well. You know, they're not just people that are studying law and policy. Like, they had these skills because of this. And the fact that they put Sabe, who, again, MVP for me. I've loved her since The First book. I need her and Bail Organa to be an 18 series together. Um, But... I love the fact that made her the second best thing because instantly all of her personality traits. I'm like, Oh, I got it. Like she's subservient to an extent with Padme, but I also totally get why she's never going to leave her. Cause mm-hmm. she's like, I am connected to you. Cause I'm your second best. Yeah. Like real farm boy saying in the chat right now, she's Padme's first, second best. Like mm-hmm. she knows her role. She's never going to try to overtake Padme for any reason. And she accepts that about herself she's given a chance to shine at the same time when she wasn't given at the conservatory.
2: Yeah. I think it makes her really relatable too, you know, because yeah. if you're, if you're just a human being, you tend to not feel like you're the best at, at everything or maybe anything, unless you're Corey Helton. Um, yeah. no, and- I the, only <laughs> time I, the
1: only time I feel like that is when I'm on this show with you losers. So, I mean, oh I, I get it. <laughs>
2: so on page 223 moving on uh we we see sabe talking to padman she says there's one key difference between you and me you command and i carry out do you know why captain pinaka recruited me he picked me because the thing i'm best at the only thing i've ever been best at is being not the best what i learned is that i'd rather be second to you than first to anyone else where do you guys think that Sabe's dedication comes from? Because you, you hinted at it, Eric, that she mm-hmm. would just do anything for Padme. Where does that relationship come from? We see it form, but I want to know, what do you think is at the core of that?
1: I think it, it's really those first – is it the first few days or first few weeks they had together um, before any other had made to get there? Because Padme uh, yearns for it later in the book. When all the other handmaidens get there, she's like, oh, there used to be nights where Sabe and I, like, they shared the same room. They stayed up nights talking to each other, getting to know each other, absorbing each other. And I really think it might be as simple as probably a, or the wrong word for it, but it might be as simple as a true best friend. I mean, it it is a connection that you can make with another human being, and it's like, I'm, I got you. Like, that's all there is to it. I, I have learned what there is to know about you. I have lived in your skin, to essentially. Like I've, I've breathed with you. I've done all these things with you. And once that bond is formed, even at the age of fourteen or something, like you can't, you can't rip that apart.
2: I'm not gonna lie. I agree with everything that you just said. But as soon as you said "absorbed each other," my mind went straight back <laughs> to CNN <when> that... <laughs> I'm right back <laughs> there, guys. Oh my gosh, the oh, resorbed
0: looms. We're still talking about this okay. five episodes later. Go listen to the Lost oh Stars roundtable,
2: guys. Um, uh, I love. No, I love everything you said, Corey. Do you have anything to add to that?
0: I I don't. I mean, the one small thing I'll add is I do like that 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 like Johnson sort of normalized being second best at stuff, and like it's a quality to have that can be used well. if that makes sense
2: at Mm -hmm. all yeah so let's let's look at another conversation between Padme and Sabe it happened on page 224 Padme says I can order you to your death and Sabe says I would go and Padme responds I can't be that dedicated to you and Sabe just responds I know and it it felt a little bit like a kind of an analog to the I love you I know moment from Empire I thought there was like a shade of that in there but but what does that tell us about this relationship? Like, we see that it's clearly very deep, but it is also inherently uneven. So why do mm-hmm. you think that both parties are so okay with that kind of unequal exchange?
1: Ooh. Maybe it's because it, those parameters are set. You know, because I think too often in a lot of relationships that are uneven like that, there, there is that, you know, that feigned agreement that, oh, we are equal and it's all the same. But it's like, no, this is the job. Like, I love you. I'm going to be here for you. But let's let's not pretend there isn't also another job going around here, which which also makes you think, like, you know, Sabe and Padme in the future. Like, if they had actually been able to grow old as friends and just, you know, would that have eroded? Or would there always have been that kind of, you know, little, little voice in the back of their head? Mm. Um, which is one of the tragedies we don't get to know. Uh, because of Padme's death but I, I do think that the fact that Sabe was so dedicated to her duty of protecting Padme was also a thing that made their bond that much stronger because Padme is like I respect you as an officer Cause she really is kind of an officer right like a handmaiden is is a bit of a military helper to Padme so it's like yeah. your dedication to that is also something I respect about you as a friend not only as a ruler
2: yeah, and I mean on that note, um, before we move on from this character, I want to give a quick shout out to the twenty twenty Darth Vader comic run. Uh oh, because yes. without too many spoilers, just know that if you really love Sabe, you should at least look into picking it up. I'm I'm just gonna leave yeah. it at that. All right. Yeah. Now let's move on to uh Corey's apparently favorite handmaiden, uh Rabe. AKA the, the Robber Robin. Group. I don't know how to say <laughs> half these names. Robin. Robin. AKA Robin. Is Am it, it right? Robin?
0: Okay. But I'm Tish. I so, like Robin.
2: <laughs> so, so, her, um, she was an artist who was kicked out of school for forging famous art pieces and selling them to people. So, were you surprised <laughs> to see a handmaiden come from such kind of a seedy background?
0: Uh, not particularly. I, I mean, I, I appreciate her business sense, I have to say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she is the Cory of the Handmaidens. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I I loved how unapologetic she was, too. That she was like, um, yeah, I forged these, and I sell them to sucker tourists, and sorry. Like, she she was very much just like, yeah, it made sense. They were going to give me money, and I was good at it. Like, she's pretty blunt about it, and and the fact that, she never pretended not to have that skill set. I thought it was nice when Panaka went to go see her. She
0: mm-hmm.
1: was very blunt about what she could do and how that could help. And I think that's what made her so effective.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was ultimately recruited to kind of teach the queen deceit, which is a huge part of the whole facade of Queen Amidala and, and moving in and out of the handmaiden skins and, and all of that. So it's actually really an important aspect, I think. Uh, fun fact, Rabe is the only handmaiden to have any dialogue as herself in The Phantom Menace. Um, I, m- I mean, as herself. Sabe also speaks, but only when she's in the Amidala get-up, speaking as the queen. But Rabe oh. actually does have a line as Rabe, so that's fun. Yeah. Uh, what, is,
0: what is? What is she what is I said knew. She said? I knew
2: you were going to ask me that, and I don't know the answer to that question. If you know, throw it in the <laughs> chat,
1: guys.
0: Yeah, yeah tell us what I Rabe says. The Handmaiden have dialogue as herself in The Phantom Man. I'm trying to think.
2: I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember, and I just watched it.
0: But There's not a lot of dialogue. You know
1: what? Laura from Forced Toast would totally know. She
0: would know. Oh, she would totally she would know. We had
1: a, maybe it's in her in her schmodown study sessions. I guarantee she's uh, got, got guys, that in
0: there. Uh, do you guys remember which Handmaiden it was that said, um, like, when they were on the ship, this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole book. It's hilarious. When they were on the ship, and Obi-Wan runs in and says, this is a trap. Nobody's sending any communication. And then he leaves, and they were like, yeah, no crap, you moron. Like, <laughs> yeah. That was so – it sounded like something that maybe she would say. And it said
2: yeah, he like I, dramatically turned and left the room like yeah. with the flow of his robe. And I was like, like yes, Obi-Wan, get it, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it. <laughs> oh gosh! Oh. They were just like, of course it's a trap. What do you think? We're stupid? Like uh, <laughs> oh, Joxie in the chat
1: says, she says, "Ouch." So, ouch. is it really ouch? ouch? It might oh, be. I God. guess I trust you. I, I trust it. you, man. I love
2: it. Okay, well, let's talk about one of the silent handmaidens, Su Yan, aka Yane. Mm-hmm. She was an accomplished weaver who was skilled with a loom. I never thought I would say those words on this podcast, but here we here are. Here we are. <laughs> it, I, I thought it was actually another cool example, though, of taking uh, a job that's kind of traditionally maybe has been viewed as more of in the vein of a, a woman's job and mm-hmm. then have that character actually use that to help to fight a war. Guys, it's yeah. turning these things on their heads. Because she, if you recall, was weaving these maps Uh, in the camps on Naboo to help everyone to kind of figure out how they were going to overtake the trade federation. Um, So she was kind of recruited to, to make the queen's wardrobe more battle ready. And she served as a liaison with the palace staff. Ultimately we know that she ends up leaving the Queen's service and, and starts adopting orphans on Naboo. We learned Mm -hmm. that from queen shadow. Um, But you know, more importantly, she's one of the two handmaidens who was who stayed behind on Naboo during the invasion, uh, like I was mentioning. My biggest question is, guys, what was the beef between Yane and Sashay? They, for oh. some reason, hated each other in the beginning of the book. They refused to even share a room together. And then we know that they actually end up in a relationship, dude, thanks to Queen's dude, Shadow. Resolved.
1: That's but it. Where, that, th- you're where answering it your own question. 100%. How did it, I answer it? 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 Because it's two young teenagers that have a crush on each other that have no idea how to express it properly. So they're like, I can't be around you. It's too weird. Uh, Like, it's a 12-year-old and a a, a 14-year-old that like each other. And who knows if they've come out to themselves yet. Who knows what's going on. But it's clearly just that awkwardness of like I can't sleep in a room with you because I think I want to do other things with you, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> like that's one hundred percent what it is. Like I you're thought, young that, team I with thought the crush. that I
0: thought that might be the case. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't certain, but I couldn't remember if these were the two that ended up together in a relationship. And yep. even in even in Queen's Shadow, oh my gosh, it's gonna be so hard to keep the names of these books straight. You're doing great so far. <laughs> even in Queen's Shadow. um they were, like, kind of shy and quiet about it and didn't really have much to say about it and that sort of thing. So, like, I don't know. I thought that was very interesting. I, I do kind of wish Johnson could have made it a little more apparent or maybe she mm-hmm. wanted to and she wasn't allowed to. I'm not sure. But I, I, f- I remember finishing the book and not really realizing kind of what their beef was yeah. either.
1: Maybe I was telegraphing, like, who I was as a 14-year-old Some I'm like, <laughs> well, like, do you like her? Yeah. Don't you notice how I never look at her? Like, isn't that obvious? Like, maybe that was just <laughs> who I was.
2: <laughs> How many girls did you put gum in their hair in the classroom, Eric? That's, I would gosh,
1: never. That yeah. takes so long to get out. What kind of person do you <laughs> think I am? I saw that episode of Rugrats.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the other half of this relationship, Sasha. Sasha, oh, a.k.a. Yeah. Sasha. She had the smallest change to her name. Don't think I didn't notice that, Sasha. Sasha uh she was also the youngest and smallest of the handmaidens who was getting through art school by basically flying under the radar i mean she was recruited for that reason that she is often overlooked and was good at hiding uh and fun fact for you guys about sasha i try to find a fun fact about everybody uh she was played by Sophia coppola the daughter of francis ford coppola and got the part because her dad was friends with gl
1: Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Use yeah. that connection. Yeah, and then she uh, she's Lucas. she's become a director of of pretty decent renown. She directed the Bling Ring with Emma Watson a couple years ago. If anyone saw that, she's dope. Good Lord,
0: Eric is just full I, of fun facts. I, I have not <laughs> seen That's that. That's a single fun uh, fact. <laughs> <laughs> oh man.
2: All right. Well, ultimately, we know that she actually becomes a member of the Naboo government after the the Queen's time has ended. Um, and again, she was one of the two handmaids that was stuck on Naboo during the invasion. She is the one who was tortured at the hands of the Trade Federation for information. So, what did you all think of the torture scene? Because we knew it was coming ever since Queen Shadow. Really, the I think it was some of the opening pages of the Queen of Queen Shadow. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? It was. How did it hit you when you when, when you finally got that story?
0: I found Ooh. it dark and uncomfortable mm-hmm. and violent and honestly maybe one of the best best as in of quality and emotional like hard-hitting punch power <laughs> of any torture scene in all of star wars like i mean we we get obviously in the films we get han solo being tortured by darth vader and that was a kind of hard scene to watch i remember as a kid specifically now i've seen it so many hundreds of times i'm probably right. pretty numb to it um but like i don't know it was uh that was heavy, man. Like, when you're getting in her own head, like, when you get in her head and she's talking about, like, you know, she would die before doing giving up anything. That was such a heavy
1: hitting scene. Yeah. yeah. And, like, the moment where, like, you know, she's she's describing that, like, feels like her her blood's on fire and, like, it's just... You can make yeah. it stop and how she's so... Aff- it, it made droids really scary, too. Like... It did. It actually... Because they were just torturing her over and over. And then the part that hit me, honestly, the most in all of that was, number one when they describe what the screams sounded like to everyone else, because again, this is a 12 year old. Like this is, it's horrifying to think of that. But then Yane, when she's like crying and being like, don't you dare go rest, go do anything because she has made this decision to be tortured for us. And again, knowing that she loves her, like knowing that they're going to be together. Like she's like the, the woman that I love right now is getting tortured, but I can do nothing to help her because if Mm -hmm. I do, then everything she has done is in vain. Like, yeah. Well, it's, and you, it's horrible.
2: It is. And you raise a great point and and so I think I know the answer to this question, but do you think it was a conscious decision for Johnston to make the youngest and the smallest handmaiden be the one who was who really most directly faced the horrors yeah. of the trade federation?
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. And, and and this is a this is more testament to like Johnston's ability to normalize Indifference and uh, not not indifference, like like normalized character traits that I would imagine would be hard for young women to have, Mm -hmm. right? Of like being small and soft spoken and things like that. Like my wife is a lot like that, and she's talked a lot about that. Like, um, you know, she was really shy growing up, and people would call her out on it, and it was hurtful. And so uh, Johnson is just really good at taking. Characters that have seemingly strong qualities and and like making them weak in certain ways and then making them overcome their weaknesses and that was kind of how Erté not Erté sorry Erté <laughs> no Sashay. Jesus oh, oh we were oh doing so gosh. well ah <coughs> oh, doing so well doing so well yeah I mean it's like she made her overcome being so small mm-hmm. and timid and quiet yeah. as being this like strong sacrificial character that was such an incredible line when. Um, who's the other one? Yane. <laughs> Yane. Yane. Uh, such an incredible line when Yane was like, she's made this decision for herself. She's protecting all of us. She's making this sacrifice. Like, none of you are going to take that decision away from her. She's already made her choice. Yeah. We're not making the choice for her. Like, Man, that was so hard hitting and yeah. incredible! Incredible. Yeah. One of the one of the most hard hitting parts of the whole book.
2: Yeah. Yep. And and to take, kind of like you're talking about, Corey, to take something that could traditionally be viewed as a weakness, being small, being soft spoken, cetera, and to turn it into the character's strength, um, it, it's incredible. It was such a good decision to do that, and to and to make you kind of rethink what is strength, what is power. You know, what are these things? And it, it really makes you reexamine that. And I think that that's a huge, huge, you know, accomplishment for this book.
1: Yeah. And on and on that yeah, same note, too, absolutely. I think it was interesting, you know, talking about weaknesses and, and turning them against people. Like the fact that literally in this conversation, right, that we get some of the handmade names confused and things. I love that she made that a weapon in the book.
0: Yes. Of like people,
1: oh, if the more the more A's we put at the end of the names, people will forget <laughs> who's who. If we if we dress the same, people won't be able to tell us apart, and it's all intentional. I'm like, yeah. oh, like we, we prove it as we talk about it, and they use it in the movie like, oh, it's whoever, whoever, and she's like, yeah, exactly, and that's yep. how we yeah. beat you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. such a smart idea.
2: It is. It is. Yeah. Now, let's talk about Irtama, a.k.a. Irte. She's the blonde one. Who was a scientist and an artist both and she was recruited as the only handmaiden who really couldn't double so much she actually helped the others look more alike in comparison and she also served as the head of communication so ultimately for her after amidala's rule she she's the one who moved to otoganga and was like pursuing experimentation with algae that also yeah. doubled his art so that's fascinating that's a fun fact in and of itself <laughs> and that's really all I have to say about her, I felt I felt like she was the least fleshed out of of any yeah, of the that. characters. But she actually has quite a quite a bit of screen time. I never noticed until I did this rewatch of the Phantom Menace how often she's around uh in the background.
1: Yeah, yeah I'll have to watch for her this time especially. If, I mean for me, I, there's a soft spot in her because she works in, in theater in her, <laughs> in her <laughs> original life. Like she's a set designer and she like literally makes sets and then she's the one that redesigns the throne to put the blasters in and like does all this all the set work so i i I did love that idea just from my my personal life of allowing a a theater practitioner to become such a big part of uh, star wars that was freaking boss
2: (laughs) absolutely um yes those are the handmaidens from this book but there are more handmaidens so let's just run through them real quick Corde, Dorme, Verse—we know about them. They were with Padme when she was a senator. We we got a lot about them in Queen's Shadow. How about Tecla? You know Tecla? that random one the in the Clone Wars, wars. wars. <laughs> that ruined everything, and who got killed by a bounty hunter? No, don't remember that. Yeah, me neither. Let's move on.
0: Dujan.
1: What? Tecla? <laughs> what? Is that Tekle? Te- no.
0: It was should have been tech he just, He's just being <laughs> facetious. I have no memory of this. No, that's ever. a real thing. Well, yeah. I mean, you just, what Tecla's you proved a real my thing. point.
2: You proved my point. Uh, she was in the TV show. She was in one episode, and she. Uh, was, you can't and just, she was we can't just we
0: can't just blow past this. You have to, we you can. Have to explain. <laughs> I, I
2: explained it. She was killed by a bounty hunter. She apparently didn't like Padme enough to make her ne- her name Techle. And that's <laughs> why she died. I mean, she wasn't committed to the cause.
1: Nope. God, uh, we, got <laughs> a, right. we got a good, uh, a good question in the shadow. Oh, why do we think they were left out of Queen's peril? And I think that the fact that, that Johnson already used them so much in Queen's shadow really, uh, kind of allows us to get our Corday dorme verse. A love in the set in that yeah. fir- first sure. book sequel, but first, yeah, um, How and then this when we got to get the OGs. Yeah, exactly. Corday, yeah.
0: Corday is the one that that dies in uh, Attack of the Clones.
1: Yeah, right? and then Dorme is Rose Byrne. Okay, it's the actress. Yeah. yeah. Rose so there's Byrne. also
2: guys. There's also Doja. Do you guys remember <laughs> Doja? <laughs>
1: Dude, Dujia, what? She Dude. is
2: the one from Thrawn Alliances. She's the one who died too because she's not Duge. Oh, wow. Uh, how could I
1: forget something from Thrawn Alliances?
2: I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she's the handmaiden who disappeared on Mokivj, which is also impossible to say, uh, right. while investigating the droid factory. So here's the lesson, guys. If you don't change your name to end in A, you will die. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. and most, we, you'll get tortured uh, with uh, an A.
2: Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, who knows? But we also have Carte. She is only in one episode, I believe, of the Forces of Destiny series uh, when a Claudite, a.k.a. a changeling like Zam Wessel from Attack of the Clones, impersonates her. So that's fun. What? Yeah. Th- these are all handmades, guys. There's so much more to dive into. And I got notably, two more for you.
0: Notably, she's oh, not dead. She's because, not uh, dead. She changed her name. It Karte, there you go. And Let's
2: then we it. have Mote and L.A. Do you think they're alive?
0: Uh, yes, because yeah, they definitely. they
2: probably are. Mote is the handmaiden with Padme when Palpatine makes his speech in the Senate uh, and declares himself emperor. She's the one sitting in the, in the little floaty box. That sounds familiar, actually. Yes. Yeah. And then okay. LA is only in scenes that were actually ultimately cut from Revenge of the Sith. So she is not ever on screen, but she
0: still counts.
1: Wait, she LA? Was a hand- wow. Wasn't she uh, a friend of Rihanna? Ella, a, a, a. <laughs> hey, I was
0: about to make that joke. Dang it! Oh my gosh, there are so how are there so many handmaids? This doesn't make right? any sense. Like, I know. At, so there, this is like ten. There's like ten handmaidens. I mean, they're from Holy different crap. time periods, but yeah. Can you can you imagine working for Queen Amidala and just all of these women just keep showing up? They all look alike. They all sound the same. You have no idea who you're talking to. Yeah. Like it's like it's like you people confuse twins all the time. Can you imagine what it would be like to have like ten people that all look the same and sounded yeah. the same and acted the same, mm. and then they they openly all put on each other's outfits and like pretend to be each other, like. I would never have any confidence okay. I was actually speaking to the right person. I, well, it's crazy because really... you know
1: I, I'm actually I'm actually dating a handmaiden, Charlay. That's that's uh get out, uh, <laughs> get the heck out.
2: All right, Corey, calm down, calm down.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's oh let's move God. on from handmaidens. I don't know who any of them are anymore. I'm more confused than when we started. Um, <laughs> let's t- let's talk about someone who you probably won't get confused with anyone because his first name is Quarsh, and that is <laughs> Panaka.
1: Excuse me, Charles. His first name is Captain
0: <laughs> Quarsh. God, quarsh it's a name.
1: Hey, hey,
0: excuse- Padme, can you send one of your handmaids in here? I need you to quarsh this bug for me, real fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah.
1: Why isn't he yeah, quarsh? All right, quarshay. so quarshay. so
2: Captain Panaka. Um what was your biggest takeaway for for him in this novel because for me it was it was really that his stubbornness and kind of inflexibility that is very apparent in this book and in the movie as well is really ultimately rooted in his dedication to the throne. So I found it more admirable than I than really? I did annoying. Yeah, oh, did wow. you? Did you feel uh, differently? I wanted
0: yeah, man, I wanted somebody to write that dude some Xanax, like for real. He was so stressed out. I love <laughs> Panaka now. I don't know why. Oh my I gosh. I found him so obnoxious. Like the fact that like Queen Amadala even had to stand up to him, like he's going against the Queen here. Like there's no way he's gonna win any argument like okay I but let really me let
2: him, me personally. defend him for a second let me defend uh-huh. okay. as usual okay <laughs> he single-handedly set padme up for success when the trade federation invaded and let me tell you why okay we learned that panaka is the one who discovered one of the blast doors in the throne room wasn't functioning and had the parts replaced well guess what she used those blast doors to trap everyone at the end of the phantom menace and he's also the one who suggested putting the blasters in the true. arm of the Queen's Throne. And true. they had to use those to win at the end of The Phantom Menace 2. If not for Panaka, I submit to you, the council, that Naboo would have never been freed from the invasion.
1: Yeah. I, the thing is, I, I do like Panaka as a character. Don't get me wrong. I agree with, with both of these statements. I think, one, he needs a Xanax hardcore. Um, but also, I think he is a lot of fun. In this book, um, I think that he does have a lot of good ideas. I love the marriage dynamic and the panacas. This is what I yeah. assume it's like when you guys are, are working your doctor's shifts where you're like, Hi, honey, we have three minutes to sit at a table together, and then we're going to go to work. Like, and it seems like they're always kind of just missing each other. But I yeah, love, that was a good touch. <clears throat> yeah, but I love the affection they have, clearly. Um, and again, let us not forget, uh, if you read Bloodline by Claudia Gray... Panaka ends up as a moth. So we can't be that sorry for him at some point. Joins the Empire.
2: That's true. It's true. Yeah. And, you know, I think that clearly came out of Panaka's relationship with Palpatine. Uh, and we get a lot of that in this book, actually. So yeah, were you surprised definitely. to see how close they actually were?
1: I I was. But I think also I was for a second because it's like, you know what? I forget that we know Palpatine is evil. Nobody else does. So like and I it's think that's true. what makes him such a good character especially in this book. I mean, I think EK Johnson frankly writes the best Palpatine in canon so far for my money. I, I love the way she wrote him in this book. But no one everyone else just sees him as the politician that's really good at his job from Naboo. So I think Panaka's like he's always been good. He's always been a solid senator. He's a little wacky sometimes, and i I don't blame him for getting in there and making that political- con- connection
0: yeah, totally. I mean, and at the end of the day, too, Palpatine has always like manipulated himself into key positions, and this is really no different, so I liked it. it made sense to me
1: yeah, for sure
2: yeah so let's let's just talk about that for a second on page eight. Uh, about Palpatine, we, we get the quote, to be honest, Panaka missed him. Everything seemed to go more smoothly when the senator was around and always had. Mm-hmm. And I think we know why, because he's an evil Sith Lord, but then later on, Palpatine calls Panaka and says that he's just checking in on an old friend. And even though that's totally a lie, Panaka doesn't think that's weird at all when he does it's that. totally weird. How many it, senators
0: just like, call you up, like... <laughs> exactly but apparently you know he didn't
2: feel that way so they must have they must have been pretty close
1: yeah also crew you said that i just imagined palpatine texting panaka being like you up (laughs) hey (laughs) quarsh hey q what up (laughs) it's me it's me Sheev.
2: my boy q (laughs) my boy clue you my boy
1: uh no i i like i i did like their relationship a lot um, but I do think that as far, and I I, I guessed this is might be where you're about to go. Um, I think Mariya comes out living like the best Panaka life in this book. She is an awesome character. I also just thought of her as um, uh, Gina Torres in my head the whole time. Like I'd assume it was the way from Firefly walking around as Maria mm. <laughs> Panaka.
2: I like that um, casting. Choice. I like it.
1: Yeah. Oh, it made the book amazing. In my head. I was like... Because, again, it's, Firefly is like 2002, so it's right around Phantom Menace time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's I loved, true.
1: I loved her, and I loved the way she would, like, uh, make him feel like an idiot. Like, when he put the blood sensor in her room, and then yeah. uh, she's like, Dear, you put a blood sensor in a teenage girl's room. I love you. You're a moron. Go home. <laughs> like, the, the way she was <laughs> yes. never, like, huge angry at him, but would, like, bring him down to earth a bit, which I think Quarsh Panaka mm. needs.
2: Well, I still love him. All I have to say to, to round out things about Quarsh is don't panock it till you tried it. Guys, we are
1: <laughs>
2: basically out of time. Wow. Uh, we are going to have wow. so much more to discuss next week. We have a ton of overarching questions to talk about. We haven't even gotten to the fact that Obi-Wan Kenobi is in this book, uh, but we will. We will. So yeah, on that Char- note... Charles,
1: though, because I yeah. want, I want, I want the, the people to have something to come back to you next week. Yes, Can you give us... Just as a tease, Uh your first reaction when you read your darling Obi Wan was in this book.
2: I kid you not. Okay, I was at the beach when I started reading this book. I read that I saw Obi Wan's name. I closed the book. Okay, immediately (laughs) I closed the book and just sat there for a minute. And I was like, "This is amazing. This is going to be great." Because it was early on, and I was like, "What?" I was not expecting this. Chapter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there are several, there are several, there are a ton of characters, and that's actually what a lot of the overarching questions next week are going to get into. There are a ton of characters from really all of the prequels, obviously mostly the Phantom Menace, that get pulled into this book and get a substantial amount of real estate, Um, and, and that was so much fun.
1: Yeah, well, we will be chatting all things Obi-Wan and all things all his other characters, and of course plenty of handmaidens next week, but my friends... That will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you are already supporting us over on Patreon, head over to Discord and join the Aftermath After Show video channel right now to hang out for the after party. $5 tier patrons get to listen, $10 patrons get to join. A special thank you to Cheryl Bell, Drew Ivarando, and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council, and Ross Orlando on our Alliance High Command for your amazing support. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilersen. Corey is at Doc Star Wars MD. Charles is at C Hankel. The show is at Living Forest Pod. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, and Wes, our producer, community manager, and host. Thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for podcasting with me. And as always, may the forest be with you.
2: There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion.